Looking to organise an event or break into events? Or perhaps you're already a seasoned organiser? No matter where your experience sits, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Events Unpacked podcast. Learn how to go from good to great, how to embrace industry challenges and activate success in your organisation or career. Now welcome your host, Francesca Peskovs. Today, my guest is Penny Lyon, and whilst Penny requires no introduction, her role in our industry has been pivotal to large measurable growth in the business sector. Business events are a major driver of the visitor economy and worth more than $4 billion per annum to Australia. Penny has been for 11 years at Tourism Australia with her most recent role as Executive General Manager of Events, heading up a passionate and hardworking team. Most industries, operators, venues, as well as agencies and suppliers have all benefited from the success of Tourism Australia's initiatives. And today, you'll get to hear some insights on how their programs, as well as key events and learnings over the years. Penny's going to share moments from her beginnings, working agency side in the UK and Australia, producing events for top brands and companies through to the more recently traveling the world and locally to promote industry events and projects right here at home. Grab your business class boarding pass and enjoy the journey. Good afternoon, Penny. Hello, Francesca. How are you? I'm great today. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm so excited to have you on the show and uh, unpack your career and event highlights. Let's get started. So about your role at Tourism Australia, you've led Tourism Australia's business events initiative for 11 years. Could you tell us a bit about this role, I guess the general scope about the role? Sure, yes it is. It's nearly 11 years that I've been at Tourism Australia and I joined as the general manager of Business Events Australia, which was right back in 2010. Look, it was such an exciting role for me because I'd come from a corporate event background and this was a marketing role. And I certainly, when I look back now, realise how much I had to learn. But I was just so excited about it and I'd been in, in, in England. So I came back to Australia and just started getting, you know, into into the role and learning what was involved. But uh, we always talk about the fact that Tourism Australia is a marketing agency and yes, it absolutely is, but there's, you know, I think two really distinct parts to my role in particular and also what the role does overall. And so I say there's marketing and communications, which gets that broad brush messaging out and of course our audience is a global one. And then there's the distribution and partnership side of what we do. So people who may be listening and who know me, um, I've referenced the sales funnel for as long as I've been at Tourism Australia because I still think about it as that very um, conversion-focused side of marketing. And and for me, it's about that broad brush at the top, how can we get that messaging out to drive demand for Australia? And then as you go further down the sales funnel, you know, there's a distribution the trade relationships, the trade activity, and of course, partnerships that we do that drive the conversion. But, you know, the conversion doesn't get done by us at Tourism Australia, and that's why we say we're a marketing agency. It gets done by the industry. And so Mm. everything we do has to be industry-centric. We can't sit there and magic up these ideas that don't fit. So that's been the entire remit for the last 11 years. Um, I've got a broader area of focus as well with um, running the events that Tourism Australia do. We do 50 of them on a normal operating year when COVID isn't around. So there is that side of my job as well, but business events is the main focus. Yeah, right. So there's two main focuses, isn't there? There's the business and the industry events. So maybe just share a little bit about what the difference is between those um, and even maybe referencing, I guess, what the difference is Tourism Australia promoting themselves in the consumer space and there's probably um, a lot of events around that as well. But what, what is the difference with the business and industry events? Yeah, sure. It's interesting because all the industry events we do are, of course, business events. But the very distinct way of looking at it is that the business events team um, are the team that deliver the marketing and communications and the distribution um, and partnership strategies and activities. So their roles are all about driving demand and creating awareness of Australia in our international markets. And of course, over the last you know 18 months, that has shifted to, to domestic as well. But they're all about 
that marketing of driving demand and positioning Australia. So that's that team and the industry events team, an operational team of event managers, they're an in-house team, all from ex-agency land and their job, um, almost like a service provider to the rest of Tourism Australia who might want to run events. And so, you know, they'll run big events like the Australian Tourism Exchange right down to a customer dinner in Paris or looking after Greater China Showcase in Shanghai or whatever might be happening. So they have a global remit. But most of the events we do, the big ones at least, are in Australia um, and that's what that team is responsible for. What, what's the audience size for some of the larger scale events? All of our audience, we'd put them into two distinct areas, buyers and sellers. And this is, again, so interesting when you work for an agency, particularly a government agency. So if you were to think about them both as customers, the buyers are the true, you know, either wholesalers or retailers and event agencies who bring inbound business to Australia. So across all of the international markets, they would be our key customers and that's who we call the buyers. And that's like uh, conferences, incentives, exhibitions... Absolutely. So from the business events hat, so this is where it does get a little bit um, specific, but in the business events world, when we're marketing Australia to them, it is the event agencies of the world who are our key customers, our buyers. But in the retail tourism or the tourism industry world, there's a whole lot of wholesalers that you know, put together packages of holidays coming to Australia and, of course, there's the retail travel agents as well. So they're also known when I'm thinking about industry events and them running events like the Australian Tourism Exchange or Corroboree, those are key customer sets for us. Speaking specifically, our customers as well in Australia or speaking more generally, customers in Australia, the Australian tourism and events industry because all of those buyers that we're bringing in from around the world we're only doing it to connect them to the Australian industry here. So the events that we put on really for the Australian industry and if we don't get that right, um, then they're not going to attend those events and so it's critical as a government agency that we deliver on that. Yeah, and I mean you're essentially selling Australia, which is similar to the consumer market as well. And I, I did read somewhere that, you know, the slogan was originally in the consumer space, there's nothing like Australia and now it's and it's still today, there's nothing like Australia for business events. Is so you you are selling a similar product, which is this country. Yeah, it's interesting, yeah, because actually that fact that you just stated isn't quite correct, but not that um No, I love that. You might want to edit you might want to edit this. So how it works, as far as our marketing campaign goes, there's nothing like Australia has been around for all of Tourism Australia's consumer activity. Mm-hmm. So for people to come to holiday in Australia has been around since um, I think when I first started 2010. So when I first came to Tourism Australia, there's nothing like Australia was just being launched for consumer, the consumer campaign. So inspiring people overseas to come to Australia for a holiday. But when I first joined, I was really interested to see that business events had a different campaign and I couldn't figure out why because when I looked into the reasoning of there's nothing like Australia, I realised that that had huge synergy for the business events market and had um, a terrific, I suppose I could see, longevity around what we could do with that. And so um, about it was 12 months, maybe 18 months after I first joined, I introduced there's nothing like Australia for business events into our group of assets and that's the campaign we still use today and there's been a few different iterations of it and the latest one which is going to be so exciting won't actually land until after I leave because although it's at the ready to go we're not doing any international advertising at the moment because of the pandemic. Of course. Mm. So it's all a bit top secret at the moment. Um, it is, yeah, but stay tuned. It's a good one. Yeah, right. Well, I noticed that Tones and I has a has aligned themselves to the consumer campaign of Qantas no. at the moment. Have you seen that? Oh, like, right. Yeah. I haven't seen the Qantas ad on, on purpose. I haven't seen the Qantas ad because so, so many colleagues said it's too emotional, so I don't want to watch it for personal <laughs> reasons. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. <laughs> They've all cried. Oh, there we go. So, um, yeah, there's all kinds of different 
campaigns coming out. And it's a positive in a way because there's going to be a lot more emotional connection to travelling, isn't there, and going somewhere different once we're all allowed to do it again. So things will come back pretty big for Tourism Australia and the business Mm. event side of things. Yeah, Um, we hope so, and that's the intention. Yeah, definitely. So how important, uh, this is just to talk about, I guess, the effect on the whole industry as well, but how important are business and industry events to the Australian economy and to the tourism market? You know, I know it affects um, like the revenue overall in Australia and through the industry and jobs and all the way down the line. So maybe you can share with us some of the, um, you know, the results, I guess, of um, your hard work in this uh, initiative. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, can't underestimate or understate, I should actually say, the um, impact of what the pandemic has done to this industry. Mm. And the business events industry in Australia is worth $35 billion every single year. So that has been the hit just to the business events sector. The international tourism sector, of course, is, you know, worth more than $115 billion each year. So, you know, there's a lot lot at stake for the tourism industry of which so many business events and tourism organizations are mostly small to medium enterprise and so they really are doing tough. Yes, definitely. Um, Yeah, so a huge, what I call a domino effect, impact um, in a positive way when things are operating well because, you know, we're a high yield customer, business events customer. We spend more, we stay longer, we're likely to come back as in business event customers are likely to return to Australia if they've been here for an event. And, you know, they spend a lot of money because, you know, the event organiser is, you know, spending all the money on, you know, the logistics of the event. But the delegates themselves often spend a lot more too. We've had great examples of incentive groups coming in from China and buying real estate or buying out the entire lot of stock of a Louis Vuitton store. And there's some really nice economic impacts to these big events, but there's also a lot of social and um, corporate legacy that's left behind when these events happen too. Yeah, I guess it's like when you come on a business trip to do an event or to go to attend something, you do feel like you're on holidays really. And, you know, we always spend a lot more money when we're on holidays, don't we? (laughs) Yes. Even if you can buy the same thing at home. Sometimes. That's so true. But I guess Very the repeat true. business thing is quite interesting as well. I mean, we're such a large country and if you look at the diversity in the destinations – it's very different yeah. in hosting a event, say, in Queensland versus in, you know, like in far north Queensland, in Cairns, for example, versus hosting an event in Hobart, you know. So you would have a, that repeat business, I guess, is because people want to try out different destinations as well. Is that partly Definitely. it? Very much so. We often say we're a multi-destination destination, which has high appeal factor to decision makers overseas. You think about a place like Singapore, where once you've been to Singapore, you've been to Singapore. Once sure. you've been to Dubai, you've been to Dubai. Now, that's not entirely fair to those destinations because they do run excellent business events. But um, the length and breadth of our country and what it offers from the landscape right through to the experiences is something that we've promoted very strongly over the years. So. We hope that people will come here for, you know, a conference but then come back for an incentive or, or the reverse and, and or many different, you know, repeats of the same. At the moment there's a lot of uh, pitching state against state with uh, what's going on with COVID but in with business events, what are the most popular destinations in the country? Not so easy to answer it just by saying one or two because it varies from market to market. So what is highly appealing to New Zealand, which is mostly the east coast of Australia because the Kiwi market like to fly in just by one hop or one flight, so to speak, and not have to transit. Um, So they tend to stick to those gateway areas of the flight access to the east coast. But then, you know, from China, I mean, China was such an incredible market for us based on the scale, but it was interesting to monitor the Chinese trends of event purchasing over the years because they used to only come to Sydney and Melbourne and now they've travelled nearly everywhere. You know, they've been to Adelaide, Perth. I think the only place that the Chinese market hadn't been in in a huge, you know, number was to the Northern Territory, but I had no doubt that that was going to be next on the horizon depending on the size of the group. But 
Yeah, it's all all very different. I'll tell you the one market that probably sticks to a bit of a pattern is the North American market and they do love the Sydney combination of Sydney and the Whitsundays or, you know, Sydney and tropical North Queensland. So they're probably our most regular in regards to their event destinations. I guess it also comes down to what people are trying to achieve for their actual event because there's a personality and a like a brand personality to each of the destinations or I guess what you get emotionally from a business sense um, by, you know, taking people out to the desert versus, you know, being in a tropical destination. So, you know, if you're a particular type of brand, I don't know, like, you know, let's say you were sporting sunglasses of some sort, you know, you might want to be doing something that's, you know, like for people that hike, you might be doing something near northern australia with the lara pinta trail or something you know like something that's absolutely yeah got a relevance yeah. to your brand yes and it was interesting i mean one of our key you know forms of activity or platforms as we've often referred to them is the big trade shows that take place overseas like imex um or eibtm so it shows like imex um which is a major trade show for the australian industry we get so many um, of the key stakeholders, so convention centres, convention bureaus, we get um, operators such as the Sydney Opera House and destination marketing companies and you name it, we get a great selection of Aussies coming with us to be on the Australia stand at these shows and um, it's really fantastic to see them operating with different customers and showcasing what it is that makes them different, their destination in particular different. And what's even better is actually seeing them work together to put to you know forward a, a program that offers you know two solutions as far as destinations are concerned. So Australia first, and um, then of course their destinations or product um, come into it. But you know we're such a fantastic country, and we can offer so many you know different experiences. Yeah, totally, and it's great to partner with them. Um Right, Penny. So I just wanted to unpack a little bit more about um, your team, the key roles in your team, what your management style is. A few other things that if you would like to share is how do you lead, motivate and inspire? Sure. Let's start with the um, logistics first and that's the team set up. So um, we're a really small team as far as the business events side of um, my remit is concerned. Um, in Australia, as in Sydney, we have five people who work full-time on doing an entire global strategy to position Australia. So um, of those five people, two of them report directly to me. And so one heads up marketing communications and the other one heads up distribution and partnerships. And so they're responsible for um, helping deliver the strategy around the world. But then, of course, we've got so many layers to that. So apart from the five in Sydney um, and myself, is not I'm not included in that number. There's the team members around the world. And look, COVID has seen us do some amendments to our team around the world, but we look after the markets of, you know, UK, North America, all of Asia, with China being our key market there, and New Zealand. So we have team members in those areas who have dotted lines through to um, me. And look, that team is such a high performing team because, you know, the focus and the amount of work they have to deliver is absolutely incredible. So um, I think you'd say we all have very high standards. I have very high standards myself, which can be a blessing and a curse for myself and for others working with me. But I think that's also um, speaks to the nature of the event management world. I think, you know, so many people really want to deliver things in just the right way. And we know particularly because of who our customers are, when we're marketing Australia to these event decision makers overseas, I was an event decision maker overseas. Um, mm-hmm. And so we're a number of the team. And because of that, we know what we would expect if we were sitting in their shoes. And so that empathy factor is a really big thing for me. Um, it's a big thing for me in leadership, uh, really understanding you know, what it's like to be sitting in someone else's shoes and, you know, what is going to work and what isn't and not to waste anyone's time. I'm a big fan of not wasting people's time, both internally and externally. That would be that side of the team. Um, I would say I'm a very generalist um, leader in regards to the areas of, you know, I know, you know, my fair share about my marketing and comms. I know a huge amount actually about distribution and partnerships, but from a generalist point of view, it's 
the teams who run those areas that are really the subject experts. And so it's fantastic to hear from them and see the ideas that they come up with. So very collaborative in that regard. The industry events team is a larger team. So in a non-COVID world, there's 15 normally. That team, it's run by um, our head of operations for the events, Roslyn Farah. And that team are, again, just incredible with what they do. And I'd say even more so right now. And, you know, this is such an unfortunate legacy, but might be fortunate for some. But you know, people join the events industry to operationalize, you know, events. They love that part of the sector about having a project and bringing all the components together and then seeing it operate, you know, in situ. And, you know, the COVID world has meant the um, introduction of a lot more virtual events. And so many event managers are sitting behind a desk running virtual events. And that team were really, really strong at getting really quickly, you know, what was the right technology for us to use, and there were several um, for lots of different reasons, and getting that um, up and running. So the events team, um, you know, there's different people who report to Roz, and then there's event coordinators and event managers and so on. But generally that team, again, works so strongly together and come up with lots of different ideas. If there was something that I say, you know, in my time at Tourism Australia comes to an end shortly, but that team is the one that I am so proud of because when I first took on that team, which was in 2016 when I was promoted to the executive team um, and had the industry events team as part of my function, then that team was not a best practice event management team. I can say that hand on heart and I've said that before. But what I then worked to do was to bring in the right people and look at the right technology and look at how we actually run events. And because of the team that are there now, when I first took that team on, we did one event really, um, and that was the Australian Tourism Exchange. And that event is huge for lots of different reasons. It's a very big event. But once the team that exists now came on board, um, we are now consulted for every event that Tourism Australia does of significance, um, both here in Australia and around the world. And that's why we're running around 50 events each year. And that had not happened before. So I think when you're really, really keen to make sure that, you know, you deliver excellence in everything that you do, that you've got a team around you that are committed to that as well, that think in the same way, albeit you don't want that group think all the time. You certainly want people who are going to bring different elements into the, you know, the team structure and come up with new ideas that are different to, you know, mine, for example, then, you know, that's that's really important. But if there's synergies about delivering something to a level that you're all committed to, then that's a little bit of magic there. And I'm really proud of what they've done. They're incredible. I, I do notice that people have been in their roles for a long time and that's always a really great sign of a de- department or a company. Um, is there a specific um, sort of company culture or values proposition that you guys live and breathe by? There's values for sure. We've got new values that have just been introduced since Philippa Harrison became the managing director um, and we had another set of values before that. So in actual fact, it was John O'Sullivan who did bring in values for the first time into the organisation. But that aside, because I think most organisations now do have values that they all work towards and they're nice reminders of how to be a good person in the workplace. Mm -hmm. But Tourism Australia has always been such a high-performing culture. Um, It's been a high-performing organisation. There's a lot of people who are so passionate about the product, which is our country, and they're so excited to work there and they just do good work. And I think, Mm. you know, the setup of TA is excellent. The leadership has always been excellent and it's a fun place to work. It really is. So I think it's many different factors, but um, yeah, high performance would be a key one. Yeah. Well, they're selling a product they love, firstly, and, Mm. you know, there's there's a passion in it. And obviously, if you handpick the right people in a team that all complement each other and you can enjoy, you get out of bed each day and you have a purpose that you really believe in. I think that that's essentially your company culture done. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Great. Could you share with us a little about the different stakeholders in any sort of event or project, just um, any example, and then how you deliver satisfaction and report on ROI? 
Yeah, sure. I mean, like every event, there's always the anecdotal feedback and the tourism industry, and I'll just talk about the Australian Tourism Exchange, or ATE as we refer to it, as um, such a big event. I mean, the event itself is worth $9 million to the host um, city that is running that event that year on our behalf. You know, it brings in billions of dollars worth of tourism deals, and so it's a critically important event based on that. Nearly every part of Tourism Australia is involved in running that event. They all feel like they've got a say. And so, you know, as far as feedback is concerned, we're seeking feedback internally and as well from all of our, I don't just mean the Sydney office, but from all of our offices around the world because our offices are dealing with the customers directly and so it's important that, you know, they give us that feedback. But there's also structured surveys, just like all of the um, listeners I'm sure would be doing. You do proper surveys um, after each event and ask the key questions that mean that, you know, you get the right answers back on whether it was working or not. So for us, whether or not it's event satisfaction or business being written at the event, um, those things are all tracked. They're probably a combi- um, combination of both, I guess. Many, yeah, absolutely. But I tell you, the Australian tourism industry, and in particular, you know, key stakeholders such as the states and territory tourism organisations, if we didn't do the right thing by, as far as they were concerned, the right thing by them and their key industry, you know, the sellers of the Australian um, tourism products and, and experiences then, you know, they'd be not just, you know, on the phone to me or my colleagues and peers directly, but they'd be on the phone to the minister. So for me, it's all about remembering what it is that we're trying to do. And again, any event manager would do this, but really trying to think about, you know, those key, don't forget about the key outcomes, that's obvious, but just making sure that you know, apply that empathy layer over everything and think about whether or not it would work for you if you were doing their jobs. And I think that's something I've always really tried to stick to. Putting yourself in their shoes as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's a a good way of summarising it. We'll move on a little bit and talk about the Business Events Bid Fund Program, which is, you know, assisting organisations pitching for business events. Could you explain a little bit about what that involves and how you support partners in winning events to be hosted in Australia? Well, the Bid Fund program is now in its fourth year of operation. Um, it was something I was really strong about fighting for. And it was a really big deal when it was announced by Minister Chobo because whether we like it or not, having money down to help attract events to Australia is part of doing business. What's so brilliant about the Bid Fund program is that it certainly um, heightens the likelihood of people choosing Australia but it's only for when we're being pitched against other destinations around the world. And so by offering some financial support, which ultimately would be used against the hard costs of, you know, an event, that only gets awarded if Australia is chosen. So you can't lose, basically. No, definitely (laughs) a win-win. You can pledge money, but you might not win the event. But it's still, it's not as flippant as that sounds like I am being too casual about it because... There's a lot that goes into it. There's a huge amount of development and due diligence. Yeah, about not, it's not just a sure. financial assistance. There's a lot yeah. that goes into it. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. It has to align with priority sectors and what might be an important event for Sydney might not be for Cairns and so on. So there's a lot of different factors that go into it. But it's a really successful program. And although um, I do know the numbers um, right here, right now, of what the conversion has been, I stick to the simple one of pre-COVID where we had won more than 40 events worth more than $400 million. And Mm. for Tourism Australia's investment, that's a return of almost 60 to 1. So um, it's a really, really good result for Australia. And the state and territory um, partners who are mostly, it's mostly the convention bureaus that we partner with, um, albeit that there are convention centres and there's PCOs that also partner with us. They're the ones that do the really hard work on this program because all we're doing is assessing the criteria and deciding whether or not it's a good investment for Australia. But they're the ones who have done years of research, particularly in the big association congress environment, years of research, years of teeing up their ambassadors and advocates within their areas, within their um, regions, um, the pitching that goes into it, um, the relationships that are ongoing, et cetera, et cetera. It can take so many years to convert. 
So they're the ones that deserve the, the real gold medal on yeah, this I mean, one. It's we a just, very long time We just help frame. get it over the line, yeah. It's a very long time frame. Yeah, they're pitching yeah. for years ahead, which I guess is the only thing about now. Hopefully that's a... You know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel where you can they can be pitching for work quite far ahead or business events quite far ahead. The countries that we compete against, are they mostly Asian countries, would you say? Uh, a lot of the time, yes, Francesca, it is. But um, it depends, again, on the type of event, the incentive market. Uh, we compete against North America and Europe a lot. Um, but in the Association Congress market, it's mostly Europe that we're pitching against. But there are places, you know, like Singapore and and Seoul that have brilliant business events infrastructure and facilities. So, again, it just depends if they're on a rotation basis or, you know, what are the key drivers um, for their incentives. So it's it's a global, global one mostly. This is Events Unpacked, your number one guide to organising a successful event. Well, let's get on to the the fun stuff, the juicy stuff. So I'd love if you could share with us an example of, you know, a event that you're really proud of, something where there's been a unique strategy, creative concept or tactic and why it was so effective in achieving an amazing result for the event success. The one that always comes to mind is the one I loved. And in fact, it worked so well, we did it again, but in New York instead of being at they're running it in Auckland. Um, so it kicked off in New Zealand. And the reason we um, did this first in New Zealand is that Kiwi market is a really important one to Australia. They're our biggest number of visitors every year for business events. And they're a really tough market because they know Australia so well. So when we decided to do a lot of different trade activity there, we knew we had to really differentiate. And again, myself and Kelly Maynard, who heads up distribution and partnership both having been corporate event agents for so long, we really knew that we had to deliver an event that would really the turn wow factor for so many years, but really, really deliver something different. So we put together um, what was ultimately a wine tasting event, but done over a dinner with so many reveals throughout the night. But the actual setup of the event was incredible. And I know it sounds so simple, but in um, New Zealand at the time, and I'm talking a number of years ago now, they didn't really do events in different unique venues there. It just wasn't that much to choose from. So most events were done in, you know, good quality hotels and so on. But we found um, a warehouse and <laughs> we did all the right things to make it acceptable. And this event happened over the course of this evening and it really did bring a piece of Australia with how the creative and production elements were um, delivered um, over and above anything I'd seen for years. And when you sit there as an event owner and you enjoy every part of the event, I think that's a really good sign too. So that was brilliant. Then we took that one to New York and did it. Um, And the minister was actually in New York at the time, so he attended, but the customers there absolutely loved it. Um, And again, we did too. Yeah, well, that's great. Great if you can do it again. But I think it sounds, yeah. you know, that style of event was really when you, when the industry started experiencing a little bit more of the experiential, immersive yeah. kind of creative side of events rather than it being, you know, like, you know, it changed with formalities where it wasn't just someone talking to you anymore. You actually experienced the key benefits or features of a, a product in an immersive setting. Exactly. Great. Uh, well, This is one of my favourite questions, which is, I guess, around the problem side of events, really, let's call it challenges and failures. We all learn from challenges and failures. Some are more epic than others. And would you be keen to share a challenge and how yourself or the organisation learnt from it? Sure. Um, You know, it's so funny, I think, because um, Tourism Australia is just you dot every I and cross every T. I can't for the life of me think about anything that is significant enough to share. But if I look back to challenges, it was probably in the corporate world when I was setting up CI events in the UK. You know, at that point in time, 2006, I headed over there. CI events was such a well-known brand in Australia, turning over $80 million per annum. It was, you know, had offices in major capitals and the East Coast and so on. And um, I went over to the UK to start it up and I think, you know, I realised when I got there how tough it was just to start up a brand by yourself. 
but you know, we we slowly started making some you know way in our world there. And I had a fantastic girl called Kate Reed who helped do that, and she was great at sales. But we used to go and do these pitches at these corporate customers in London, and just some of them felt so badly flat. And I think that was a really key learning for me, just to walk away and say you can't apply you know, that whole Aussie kind of irreverent tone all of the time. Mm. Um, I think there's a, you know, time and tone consideration about some of the things that you do. Um, and Are you sort of saying like so, knowing your audience, really knowing your audience is kind of the the learning from that? Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And looking back now, it seems so simple, but it wasn't then. Oh, look, we've all been caught out by, you know, being an agent, working yeah. in an agency myself or owning an agency. Um, the main times I kick myself is when I hadn't researched or thought about, you know, you, you say that empathy side of things, but actually understanding who you're speaking to. So that's when you can put your foot in your mouth or, or not, or even just fall flat. Yes, absolutely. That falling flat is a perfect way to put it. Yeah. So obviously, you know, how do you utilize, well, obviously partners are really important in terms of distribution and um, production partners. How do you utilize Australian talent suppliers or any other partners? We utilize them as much as we can, um, which I know sounds so um, simple, but just think that the way that Australian business conducts business is in the business events world is so good. So how can we showcase that, particularly to our international customers? So that's pretty easy when we're doing an event in Australia, but um, a bit harder when we're doing things overseas. But we will look and default as much as we can on using Australian talent. But, um, you know, we always laugh um, when we look back to the um, Restaurant Australia campaign that we did, um, again, a number of years ago. Mm. But what we realised then was how Australia is so unencumbered by these sort of strict rules or strict cultures that many other countries have to, I suppose, endure. And we're so free as a country to do great things where that typical, the under-promise and over-deliverer mentality, and I think that makes it fantastic. So... We've segued a bit more into using a lot more Indigenous talent too and Indigenous products as well. So I think that's great in closing the gap too. Yeah, and look, international visitors love to, um, you know, experience that, the Indigenous side of the country and their history, and that's what makes it so, um, you know, rich and exciting for them. Yes, it is. That point of difference for us. Totally, totally. So let's move on and chat a little about your career because you've had a great career so far and it's probably not over, but I just, uh, we'll, we will look back. Um, the industry's mm-hmm. obviously changed a lot over the years since you began and maybe you could share with us your first pivotal role in the industry. And this is really about like what inspired you to embark on a career in events. Sure. Look, it has changed a lot, but also sometimes I wonder, you know, if it, it couldn't have changed or shouldn't have changed more. I certainly realise there's far less paperwork involved in running events nowadays. I think I flew to Hawaii once for an event and took 10 big um, folders with me with all the um, airline details. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Banquet <laughs> event orders and everything. It was crazy. But... Um, Look, for me, I was a mad traveller. I was lucky enough to have parents that um, loved holidaying. And so we had our fair share of holidays growing up. And it was on one of those trips that my dad actually said to me, why don't you think about going into travel and tourism? So I did after returning from a two-year stint of backpacking around the world. And I think it was only about nine months in that my best friends, who are still best friends today, um, we were all living together, came and showed me a, an advertisement that was in the newspaper to apply for a job at Mount Cook Line, which was a New Zealand wholesale operator and airline, and I applied for that job, and that was my first job in the events industry. I did outbound events from Australia, obviously inbound into New Zealand, and that was it. So wow. um, I just, yeah, loved it, and each step in my career took me into another area within the events industry, and it's been 30 years and I'm finishing up at Tourism Australia shortly. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so I, I amazing. Mean, I mean, it does. It's in your blood and it is a very particular person that can work in events. We'll get on to that in a minute. You know, and 
the industry in, in some, the things that have changed that I like in the industry is definitely, you know, where were we before Google, you know, Googling for ideas <laughs> and, you know, scrapbooking what you want through Pinterest or anything <laughs> else like that. You know, I, I, I mean, yeah. a kind of joke, there's no such thing as a new idea, but really it is just finding something that you find often online and um, turn into something else. However, the principles of events is engaging people emotionally, right? So that hasn't changed in decades. So what is your best skill or I guess personal attribute? How has that assisted you in your career? You know, I guess what's the one thing that you feel that you're best at, you'd put on a billboard? I think it's my ability to read people. I think it's that, you know, empathy factor. I know I've got good energy and I'm mostly positive, 99.9% positive person. I think that helps in this industry, but is absolutely um, big time failure if you can't um, read a room, um, if you can't imagine being in situ at an event and understanding the experience. And I think that's the critical thing. That's a really good one, actually. What's been the most favourite part of your career so far? Oh, look, that CI Events era was a magic one. You know, I worked for CI Events for 10 years at a time when three different event agencies all came together to form this brand. It was a real sort of time, you know, the events industry, as you said before, about being experiential and doing really, really good events. And and events agencies coming into their own. Remember, originally it was all part of like a group travel department of a major travel management company or something. But this was you know, an era where there were big budgets, loads of offshore travel. And the fact that I got to, you know, go over to the United Kingdom and set up the brand there, and which I did over four and a half years into a profitable company. It's so sad that CI isn't, where, you know, existing today based on the pandemic and a few other corporate decisions. But still, it was a fantastic time. And some events that I ran there were absolutely incredible. I'm probably most proud of the work I've done at TA. It just feels a bit more, you know, when you think you're doing something for a country. Um, so yep. most fun CI, most proud TA. So patriotic <laughs> from the TA point yeah. of view and yeah. um, I guess experiential yourself from the, the CI side of things. And I guess yeah. back when you were at CI and I'm, I was in the events industry you know, at a similar time, it it was a lot looser what you could actually do in yeah. an event compared to now. It's uh, it is extremely PC the world these yeah. days, and that yeah. is a little bit of a creative killer in some ways for mm. um, how kind of risk aversive you know people are in their concepts that they you know produce. Yeah. Personally, um, look, I know there's a, a winery in the family in South Australia, mm. but uh, what are your passions or your interests when you're not at work? What makes you happy? Oh, look, a lot of things make me happy. <laughs> I'm a pretty hedonistic <laughs> individual. Um, and look, that it always comes back to the core basics, you know, having great family and great friends. I'm so proud of my friendship circle. I've been friends with a group of people since I was, you know, in high school, early high school, and we're still all hanging out together today. I love the balance, everything in moderation. So, yes, there's always wine and there's always great food, but I'm also a crazy health nut and um, do a lot of exercise, eat really healthily, 99 Point five percent of the time. Oh wow, that's <laughs> and, amazing! Um, no, I don't. I don't do that. But <laughs> I, lie. no, I just. <laughs> I'm. Um, I love good health. I, I value that greatly, and so you know, I do a lot in that regard. I think that it's so important for people, and I think it's a unfortunate problem in the events industry where it attracts these again, usually high energy, but people who have such um, exacting standards that, you know, they work every hour that the day can give them because they just want to get their, you know, job done beautifully. Um, But I learned years ago to step away from that. And I've learned, and I'm so proud of this part of my working life, that to step away and go home and actually, you know, do the most important things in life is hanging out with your loved ones and switching off from work. It makes you better at work. <laughs> you know, you've got, you'll always get the work done the next day and you'll do it better because you're not brain dead. So um, it's like quality rather than quantity and that recharge absolutely. is really important. Do you, um, when you exercise, what, have you got a particular, is it the gym? Do you like to go running? Sometimes it's like um, when I've spoken to other people, they say often it's, uh, you know, getting away from all devices and digital and being in nature or 
you know, like going, yeah. going for a run on the beach or something like that. Yeah. Look, for me, it's being outdoors as much as I can, albeit that I love yoga. So I do practice yoga a lot. But, uh, you know, for me, it's the, I'm a massive walker. I used to be a mad runner and used to do triathlons, but I don't do any of that stuff anymore. Walking, you know, I live by the beach in Sydney, so I'm always heading down to the beaches and walking along there. Um, embarrassingly, I'm not that much of a swimmer, although, you know, I do love swimming. I just stick to the looking at the beautiful ocean. Um, and when we're at our farm in South Australia, the country walking around the Clare Valley is incredible. And I also have a bike there. So I do lots of uh, mountain biking around there as well. So love being outside. But I'm also just as good sitting down for a few hours reading a book. Yeah. So, um, again, everything in moderation. That's what life's all about. Well, if you can find that balance, that's awesome. And it sometimes takes a long time to get there. But you do learn in our industry through burnout that you, you do need to take time for yourself. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so this is going to put you on the spot and, uh, you might find it hard to answer. Um, so I said name one or more, but one or more of your favorite Australian destinations to visit and why? Oh, look, I have an absolute favorite one to visit and that's Hamilton Island, particularly staying at Qualia. We try to get there every year. I think that island is amazing. Good walking, good food, just beautiful to be there. Love it. So that's my favourite one and I have said that a number of times to um, people so they won't be speaking out of school. Um, but also, of course, you know, with our farm in the Clear Valley, that's absolutely stunning. In South Australia and what it has to offer is amazing too, but it's probably that's our second home. So, Yeah, exactly. I mean, I actually really that. love Hamilton Island as well. It's um, I can say to my kids, you know, we're going to Disneyland or Hamilton Island, which one would you prefer? And they'll say Hamilton Island. So Yeah, yeah. From yeah, my stepkids were the same. They loved it. They still love it, actually, now that they're a bit more grown. But, yeah, loved it. Great. So let's um, just talk a little quickly about the future. We've only got a couple of questions left. So what excites you most about the future of live marketing and events, besides the fact of actually having them? That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing I can think of right now because it's just that connection piece, oh, isn't it? It's so, it's so interesting, this question and asking, because as I said to you before, this podcast was not created because of COVID. But it's, you know, I think the one thing, the silver lining that during this pandemic is is that we realise how important human connection is. And, you know, speaking to all my clients, for example, they've got so many issues internally, even just with the staff, without being able to hold employee engagement events, you know, face-to-face, let alone their brand events or their external events that have a, you know, maybe a sales target to meet or something. So, Yes, agree. But look, you know, longer term, I think it comes back to, you know, that whole experiential piece that you were mentioning. I think there's so much potential in the future digital age and I you know, don't want that um, to come across as though it's a virtual solution, but there'll be certain parts of that. But just how do we actually bring more of that, you know, interaction and, you know, experience it, you know, into events? I think that's that's a bit of where... Um, what do you, what do you, you think know. about the Olympics in 2032? I'm so excited about the Olympics. If I was going for a next big job, I think I'd love to think about the Olympics. As a, well, I'll, as I'll carry Wouldn't your, it be fantastic? I'll carry your clipboard for you, just letting you know now. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can do more than that. <laughs> I know, but you know, I, honestly, it's always been a bit of a dream for me to be involved somehow in, especially the opening ceremony. I've always wanted to be involved in that or in any area, really. It's just such a nice... Well, you can do that and I'll do more of the sporting events. How's Excellent. That? All right. <laughs> That's great. You'll be there when uh, the next Usain Bolt's uh, about to, um, you know, break. Australia breaks the record. Yeah. All right. Well, I've got one last question for you. And um, uh, this is a great one for people in their career or anyone wanting to break into events. What one piece of advice would you give someone wanting to break into events? Oh, I think just give it a go. It's such a terrific industry. So give it a go. Yeah. And find your way, do you think as well? Because I, I mean, the reason that I did create this as well, this podcast is so that people could actually, you know, have a little bit of a listen to the different styles of jobs there are out there or roles out there. There's just so many diverse areas and events you can work in, isn't there? And you were just talking about your team before about all the different roles. 
it's not just being creative and coming up with the idea. There's so much more to events. Well, look, so much. And, you know, whether or not it's in, you know, live events or festival events, you know, although those two can obviously be the same. Um, It's a sporting event. It's exhibitions versus corporate. Um, It's being, you know, venue side versus being the creative, you know, producer and technology aspects. But what I like about any and all of these things is that you don't need a degree of, you know, many, many, many years at university. Yes, there are those options now for the events industry, but what this industry offers is people who have the wherewithal, um, who have the passion, the creative elements, yes, come into it, but that can be, you know, functional, you know, creativity as well because, you know, organising events doesn't have to be all about bells and whistles. But honestly, I think that when I look back on my career, I had, you know, very little formal training and look what I've done and where I've travelled and the different things that I've experienced. And I believe that the industry still offers that and more today. And I hope we get a lot of good people coming back into this industry that the pandemic unfortunately has lost. Mm. So we need good people. And I'm open to people talking um, to me about the industry at any time. I've mentored a lot of people over the years, but um, I think just even picking up the phone and having a chat if you're unsure about, you know, what you want to do and where you want to go, there's the beauty of LinkedIn and so on that's there for people to reach out. Well, that's what I was going to ask you, how they can get in touch. So LinkedIn's the best thing and it's very generous of you to offer that because so many people talk about mentors and even just getting advice can really point you in the right direction based on, you know, what your skill set is or what you love doing. Absolutely. And it's something that people said to me way back when and people have been great to me over the years when I wanted to have a talk um, about anything and everything and they've helped guide and direct. And so, um, yeah, I like doing that and I do it on a regular basis. So if anyone's unsure, they can absolutely reach me on LinkedIn. Well, that's great. So Penny, you've certainly made a massive mark on the industry and fostered some incredible relationships. You've got a lot to be proud of so far and thank you for sharing that with us. The follow-on boost to our industry's been very significant and we really, really appreciate it because, I mean, I'm part of it as well. So I understand how much it has um, benefited us. You know, Australia is a unique and desirable product, but marketing to the events industry essentially takes a very creative approach and, you know, you can't rest on your laurels. You've always got to be reinventing yourself and finding new ways. And I know my listeners have enjoyed hearing about your events and have, as we've all appreciated them from, you know, afar. So thank you very much. And thanks, Jessica. That's so nice of you to say. And I really appreciate your interest and want to credit you for doing a podcast like this because the events world needs a bit more of attention on it. So well done to you. Ah, thank you. I look forward to seeing where your career takes you next after you've had a couple more um, wine tastings on the <laughs> vineyard and <laughs> once you can have get a career there. Break. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for unpacking with me today and uh, have a great day. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Francesca. Thanks, Penny. Thank you for listening to the Events Unpacked podcast. Head over to francescapescops.com and access all the tools and resources discussed in today's show. That's francescapescops.com. Until the next time, hit subscribe and have a nice day.